church leaders, welcome to the CEO Pastor Podcast. My name is Cindy, and I am your host for today's episode. My goal is to provide the management expertise every church leader needs to produce the ministry experience every church leader wants. We'll skip the jargon and cliches and focus on ideas that will help you accomplish the church's mission in your unique ministry context. Ready? Let's go. today's episode, we're going to be learning about some development options that you can use to improve the performance of your team and to give them a greater understanding and more skills for the roles that they're performing in your organization. And I am a big believer in development, partially because I'm a nerd and I always like to learn more and more things and improve my skills, and partially because I've seen how training and education can help you do better in the roles that you are currently in and roles that you may have in the future. And the great thing is a lot of the skills, especially the so-called softer skills like dealing with people and sales and marketing and all that kind of stuff, it can apply in multiple areas of your life. So I have to do 40 hours on average every year of ongoing education for my accounting designation. So I know all about all of these different types of training that I'm going to be talking about today. And most of these, depending on which you're trying to do, most of these will be relatively low cost. It might just cost your time and maybe traveling a bit, depending on what exactly your training type is and your needs are. But for the most part, a lot of these resources can be accessed online, especially you can find some amazing training online, and either at very little cost or at no cost at all. You just have to be a little creative in going about looking for them. So I'm going to split the development options into two types. One is development that you can get from outside your organization, and development that you can generate internally. So development that you can get outside your organization is pretty obvious. And this is probably where if you do need to spend money, you will be spending money in this area more than the development that you're doing internally from internal resources. And this is a lot of the traditional type of training that we think of when we think of training and development. Seminars and webinars and courses and Like I said, you can find a lot of these things online, and they're pretty amazing. Especially now with the pandemic, a lot of uh, training has been migrated online in order to allow people to socially distance. But also, I think a lot of people who are doing training and seminars are finding that they have greater access to a wider audience by going online. So personally, I expect that people will be doing a lot more online training from this point on, which is a wonderful option because a lot of the time the training costs are not necessarily in the training itself but are often in the travel to get there and the accommodations once you're there. When things started to switch over to being more online when it came to training, I was really excited because I started being able to have access to things that I normally wouldn't be able to access because I'm in a smaller place that doesn't have big conferences and seminars going on a lot. And some of the training that you can get, especially if you get people to come to your location to do training, a lot of that can be hands-on exercises and individual and group assignments. So, for example, hands-on exercises. If you're trying to teach people how to run the sound system for your organization, you can have someone come in and teach them how to run the board, how to set up all the equipment, 
how to adjust things in order to make things sound the way that you want them to sound, and that's essentially a hands-on exercise. An individual group assignment might be something like, let's say for an individual you're trying to teach somebody how to look at your finances and understand them. You might have some training that has some exercises where they're looking at your books and going through them and trying to figure out on their own, like, how does everything work? Where does everything go? How do I look at this and, and understand it? And if you're sending entire teams to go to be trained, you might find that when you're on that training or if that training comes to you, you might have an entire group assignment where they go through an exercise that will be similar to what your team is doing. And one of those types of group assignments are simulations. And I've been privileged to be able to go through a few simulations when I was studying. The one that I remember most we did in our MBA, and it was essentially a computerized system that you would enter information into. You were a factory building computers, so you had to decide like how many people you needed to run the factory, what kind of training, and how much you were going to spend on them, what types of components you wanted to be in your computers, the pricing, how much marketing, what areas of the world you wanted to market these computers to. And you would input all that information, and by the deadline, the simulation would run the computer program, and then you would get the results. And the thing was that we had groups in our class, and we were essentially competing against the group. So depending on what the other group decided to do with their computers and their company that they were trying to figure out, it would affect how your company performed. So you were kind of also trying to figure out like what you thought your competition was going to do and try to do things either to be better than them or to have a different strategy so you were not competing in the same area. And you might be saying, well, how in the world can I do a simulation in my organization? Well, one of the ways that we would do simulations in job training when I was working for a payroll company is we were dealing with customers, so a situation would be presented to us, and one person would act as the customer, and one person would act as the customer service representative, and you would have a dialogue and that way you didn't know exactly what was going to happen you just knew the particular scenario that you were going to encounter and then you would pretend that you were actually doing that scenario and then the person who was teaching would say oh these were the things that you did well but you could have done this a little bit differently and you might have had a better reaction from the customer. Another simulation that you could do, for example, is going through disaster preparedness, whether that be a physical disaster for your organization or a public relations disaster. Let's say, for example, there's some kind of a scandal that happens at your organization and all of a sudden it becomes public and the media is on your doorstep looking for answers to questions because they want to have a story. The problem with the media is they're looking for the story right now and if you're not prepared, then you don't get to have your say in the story and try to guide that in a way that's more accurate. Because sometimes with some journalists, not all, but some journalists will kind of put their own slant on a particular issue. And especially when it comes to religious organizations, they're trying to make them look a certain way when perhaps that's not the situation at all. And if you aren't prepared and don't have that answer and don't have the people in place who are capable of dealing with the situations properly, then you're caught flat-footed. And that gives the media the opportunity to make the story be whatever they want it to be. Another great training opportunity, of course, is conferences. 
the great thing about conferences is not only are you going to learn from the speakers who are there, and usually if you're in a conference, you're hearing from speakers with big names who have a lot of experience and are well-known. While you're at the conference, you also get to network with people. So a lot of the times conferences will have workshops or specialized training for people and you can meet people there and get ideas from them and learn about what they're doing in their organizations and hopefully apply some of that to yours if you have a situation that's similar. Conferences will usually also have vendors there who are trying to sell things or make you aware of other organizations that can help you with different things that are happening in your organization, like software. If you're looking to improve your software, there might be a software vendor there that can help you. Or if you're looking to network or partner with this particular organization, they might have a representative there that will talk to you about how you can partner or at least put you in the right direction of the person you need to contact to do the things you want to do. So conferences are a wonderful way not only to learn, but also to get in touch with people that you're looking to work with or with resources that you'll need going forward in your organization. And another way that people can get outside training in your organization is through self-study. And some people like to do continuous self-study so that they're constantly ready for something that may come up and you're just constantly refreshing your mind about particular things that tend to happen in the role that you're in right now or that the role that you expect moving towards. But sometimes you may find that you have a particular need and that's a great opportunity to go out and find a book or an audio book or a podcast or a YouTuber or even a blog online that can help you with that particular issue. Let's say, for example, you are trying to learn how to use a particular kind of software. Now, there's no need to reinvent the wheel. Usually they have a pretty good help system that comes with software but sometimes you're looking for a particular way of doing something or you have a particular issue that the help doesn't address or doesn't address in the way that you need it to or doesn't address in a way that you really understand because sometimes when people are explaining things certain people will understand it in a particular way and other people they won't understand it that way at all but that's a great thing especially about podcasts and YouTube, you can go on there and do a search for something in particular, and there will be people on there looking at the same issue and explaining it in different ways sometimes. So if you see a YouTuber that's explaining it in one way and you're like, I don't understand that, you can click on the next video or the next podcast episode that you found and that person might explain it in a way that you're just like, oh, I get it now, and I understand what that person was trying to tell me before. It just wasn't explained in a way that I could grasp at the time. So self-study is a great way to kind of plug those holes in the skills and the knowledge that you don't have. And the second way that you can do training and development is within your organization. One of the ways that you can do this is by doing on-the-job training. So I had mentioned earlier about having somebody come in and teach you how to run your sound system. 
But if you have people who've been running the sound system and doing a great job, or you happen to have people in your organization that have a really good grasp on how to do that, you might not need to bring somebody in to train. You may be able to do on-the-job training. So you would have people working side by side and learning from each other as you go about doing the tasks that that particular role requires. So one person may know how to set up the system itself and work all of the settings, and somebody might be really good at knowing how to run all the wires and set up the equipment, the hardware versus the software. So you can learn from each other on how to do those things. Something kind of similar but not exactly the same is coaching. Coaching is great if you have people working in the same job, but you have somebody who has a lot more experience than somebody else. Somebody is coming on who's completely green. And coaching will allow you to take a look at what that new person is doing and teach them some of the things that you've learned through your own experience so that they can become better. And coaching is great because you also have the opportunity to encourage that person. So if you see them doing something really well, then you can say, oh, that's excellent. Like, I'm so glad that you've been progressing in that area. And I heard that so-and-so really appreciated what you've done or the way that you do things in this particular role. And that gives the person encouragement to continue on with the tasks that they're doing in the role. The next step up would be mentoring. So if somebody is trying to go into a more advanced role than they have at your organization right now, mentoring is a great thing because you have somebody who is beyond that person's capabilities, who is teaching them how to move forward on the things that they're trying to learn in order to go into this more advanced role. And some mentorship programs are very structured and you know exactly what you're going to be learning and some of them are not. It depends on the type of role that you're doing because there's some roles that are very structured and there's some roles that are just not. So you need to match up the type of training that you're doing with the needs of that particular role. And the great thing about having a more structured role that you're trying to teach people is Let's say that you mentor one person and get them set up into that role. If you keep notes of what you've been teaching that person, then you can essentially set up a system to teach the next person who wants to advance into a new role. So if you have that more structured role that you're trying to teach people, it's a great opportunity to avoid reinventing the wheel every time you're trying to mentor someone. You know exactly what they need to do and the different skills that they're trying to learn in order to move into that more advanced role in your organization. So you can just be sure that you hit on all of those different aspects of the role before you move that person officially into the more advanced role. Another great way to develop people on your team is to do task or job rotation. And that is essentially to allow people who are working together to do all of the different things that are required in that particular team. So you're not always doing the same thing over and over and over again. Some people enjoy that. They just want to do the thing that they like and they want to just be able to be comfortable in that area or they're really, really good at it. So they just want to do that one thing. But some people, they want to try different things. So if you're in a team setting and one person's always the leader, you might take turns leading in that team and allow people to have the different experience of being able to do the leading in that team 
and understand all of the things that go into leading the team and all the things that you have to be thinking about when you are trying to manage all of the different things that need to happen in that team. And the really good thing about doing task and job rotation is that if something happens, like if somebody gets sick or is not able to come and participate for one reason or another, or if unfortunately somebody has an accident or passes away, then you have somebody who is already experienced in the role that that person has been doing and the tasks that they've been doing in that role because you've been rotating your tasks and your job. So you have people who can step right into that and you don't have that hole where you don't you suddenly realize we don't know what that person was doing and you see that things are falling through the cracks. If you've been rotating your tasks and your jobs so that everyone has a chance to try all of the different things that the team is doing as a whole, then you find out, firstly, who's good at particular things and who needs more development and training. And you also get to learn all of the different things that people are doing in their roles so everyone can cover each other off if something happens and someone suddenly is not able to be available. And the last thing that you can do internally is having committees and workshops and working groups. Now, I know in a lot of churches especially, there are committees for particular aspects of ministry, but I would encourage you to think of committees not so much as paper pushers and and rubber stampers and all that, but more like a working group, a group that is trying to make sure that a particular aspect of your organization runs smoothly. It's not so much a place where you go to make decisions. It's a place where you make decisions, yes, but a place where you start being active and go out and do the work. And that's a great place to learn Because if you can pull a whole pile of different skills and knowledge from the people in your organization and have them on those committees, then you have all of those unique perspectives and unique skills and knowledge that you need in order to move that aspect of your organization forward. And the great thing is you can learn from each other because if you have someone who is technologically savvy, they can teach people who are not quite as technologically savvy about things that are available that can help that part of the organization move ahead. If you have people who are really good at understanding finances or understanding people and how they work together, they can teach the other people in the committee those particular skills and the things to watch out for. If you have somebody who's great at planning and organizing and managing projects, they can help people think through all of the things that need to be done in order to accomplish everything and make sure that nothing gets missed. So the committees are not so much just for sitting there and making decisions and having discussions. It's also an opportunity for the people on the committee to learn from each other. Another thing is workshops. If you have a particular task that you're looking to complete, instead of calling a committee together, especially if it's a one-off type of a task, you can have a workshop, bring all the people that you need together, and explain to people what exactly you're trying to accomplish, and break them out into groups and have each group tackle a particular task of the thing that you're trying to accomplish. And by doing that, if you have a workshop and you're working together in order to accomplish that thing, that should move people forward more quickly, the particular thing that you're working on, because you brought everyone together to concentrate on that particular thing 
for that particular time. But depending on the tasks that you break people out into for your working group, they can also learn from those people, especially if you have a good balance of all the skills and knowledge that you need in order to accomplish the task. And you may also decide to not just explain what you're trying to do, but especially if it's a one-off thing that you don't really encounter a lot, you might bring somebody in or have somebody who's aware of the situation to teach people a few skills that can help them as they move through the steps that they need to do in order to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. So it cannot just be like we're learning from each other as we work together, but you may use it as an opportunity to teach a particular set of skills to people that are applicable to that particular thing that you're working on, something that you may not encounter very often, but you need to know certain things in order to accomplish well. And the last thing that you can do is working groups. Now, this is kind of similar to a workshop, but it's more of a long-term project type of thing because a workshop is just a one-off thing that's kind of one and done and something that you can accomplish more quickly than something that you're doing working groups for. For example, in our denomination, we've had working groups on the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and how our denomination fits into living well with our Indigenous neighbors. We've also had working groups on racism and looked at the ways that our denomination can improve our diversity and how we work with people who are of a different race or ethnicity and be sure that we take their needs and unique perspectives into account as we move forward as a denomination. So that is more of a long-term project that a working group will be excellent to have in that situation. And especially in the examples that I've given, a working group should be comprised of the people that you're trying to move forward with in relationship so you can understand their perspectives and incorporate them into what you're doing as you move forward. And with a working group, it's not going to be a one-and-done thing. There's going to be different phases of what you're trying to do. So that's why a working group is a little bit different than a workshop. You have people brought together for a particular time and all of the skills and knowledge that they have bring it together so that they can learn from each other and so that they can develop a plan for how to move forward on the particular issues that they're working on and divide that out into phases because it's the type of thing that is so big that you can't just do it all at once. There'll be different phases. Usually you'll have a phase of education and then you'll have a phase of examining what other people need to do in order to move forward based on the education that you've had. And then there'll be suggestions and recommendations that the working group will put forward. And sometimes they'll even develop resources that can be used. And usually when you're in a working group, you go through those phases yourself. You go through the education portion. You learn the things that you need to learn in order to be able to develop the resources and recommendations that you're going to put forth to the entire organization. You have to understand those things and the issues yourself as the working group before you can explain it to other people. So that's what makes a working group be a more long-term group. And the thing about a working group is you may need different skills at different times. So for the first phase, you may pull in certain people. And then when that phase is over, they can move away. And then for the next phase, you may pull in different people with a different set of skills. And then with the next phase, you may pull in other people and allow certain people to drop off the working group as it moves forward. 
So it's a more fluid way of approaching an issue, of approaching a project, where you're bringing people in and out of the working group as different skills and knowledge are required. So with all of the different types of training and development options in mind, I would encourage you to do two things. The first thing is to find or create a database of recommended training resources sorted according to the skills and knowledge that those resources are developed for. You don't have to do it all at once, but if you happen upon something that's really good for a particular thing that people need training on, you can just add it to the database as you encounter it. You don't have to develop this huge thing all at once, but just as you see things, then you can recommend to people if you're looking for something on this particular issue or this particular aspect or this particular skill set, these are great things that people have used in the past and have found very beneficial. And that can save a lot of time when you have people in roles, especially if they're new. You can just direct them to that and they know exactly where to go in order to find the things that they need to develop. And the second thing that I would re recommend is that you create ways of being more deliberate about learning as you go especially when you're talking about development internally, what are the things that you can do to encourage people to learn as they're going through the tasks that they're doing in their roles? Encourage people to change positions and to try different things in the team that they're working in. Encourage people who are more experienced to coach people who are working in a similar or the same job as they are. Encourage people who are more advanced to get in touch with somebody who has has potential to be in a more advanced role and to deliberately mentor them and help them develop the skills that they'll need in order to move into a more advanced role. And also for those special projects and special things that you're doing, even if it's ongoing, where you need a group to do it, it's not that one person can accomplish it all by themselves or a couple of people, you need a whole group with different skills. Try to find ways when you bring together those groups to deliberately give people opportunities to learn from one another. And depending on the situation, you may decide to bring in somebody or have somebody on the team already who has a particular skill to teach the people as a group the particular skill that they're going to need in order to work together better as a group and move the thing forward that they've been working on. So I hope you found that helpful and that it's given you a few ideas and tweaked a few things where you realize, oh, we have great opportunities to develop our people more if we just use some of the resources we have at hand. And on our next episode, I'm going to be talking about how to incentivize the people on your team to continue to work in a way that moves your organization forward, how to reward them for their work and how to motivate them to continue. And again, I understand that in a lot of ministry organizations, there's not a lot of money to go around for these things. So I'm going to be talking for the most part about things that typically don't cost a whole lot of money at all, but that are great ways of showing people that they're appreciated and showing people that the things that they're doing in your organization are important 
and that you recognize that and want to encourage them to continue to move in a positive direction with the organization. So I look forward to talking with you about that on our next episode. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of CEO Passion Podcast. I hope you discovered an idea that you can apply in your unique ministry context. Head over to CEOPastor.com for more resources and meet up with me and other church leaders on social media for further discussion. Any questions or suggestions, email me at podcast at CEOPastor.com. And don't forget to share, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast to help spread the word that managing ministry better makes ministry better.